you. Oh, sorry. <laughs> good morning. It's good to be together on this Sunday morning. My name is Kurt. I'm one of the pastors here. A special welcome if you're visiting with us. As always, we'd encourage you to hang out afterwards. Don't rush off. We'd love to meet you, find out a little bit more about what brings you out to church this morning. This morning, we are wrapping up our series that we're calling A Story of Faith, where we've been telling the story of the history of our church, as well as looking through the first 10 chapters of the book of Acts on the story of the origin of the church itself and those early followers of Jesus who called, uh, who were called by the power of the Spirit to tell the story of this good news of Jesus Christ. Um, the next three weeks, we're going to be doing a kind of a mini Easter series, build up to Easter, looking at the events in the life of Jesus that led up to the cross and ultimately the resurrection. So we hope you uh, come out for the next three weeks as we kind of have this uh, build up to Easter. And then following Easter, we're going to launch a new series that we're calling Faith Works where we're going to be doing more of an in-depth study in the book of James, where we're going to go more chapter by chapter and look deeper into the book of James about how faith and works go hand in hand for people who are trying to live out this call of God in our lives. But this morning, as we uh, turn to the book, chapter 10 of the book of Acts and we wrap up our series, I want to invite you to pray with me and ask God to bless this time of looking into his word. Let's pray. God, we do thank you that it is your breath in our lungs this morning, and that breath that we breathe in and out each day is the breath that you've given us to also tell your story, to tell of the good news of Jesus that has not only saved us, but has the power to save the world. As we look to your word today, this morning, God, we ask that you would speak to us, not only through the words of the Bible, but through the voice of your spirit in our lives, teaching us how we can respond in obedience and trust to this call that you've given us to be your people in this place, in this season. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. As I have said, we've been going through this series on a story of faith, and we've been looking at how the story of the early church and the story of our church really led those early Christians through a process of discovering a new experience of what does it mean to be community together, Uh, What does it mean that we have a new identity in Christ? What does it mean that our work and the meaning that we have in life comes, uh, becomes a, a whole new perspective based on who God has shaped and wired us to be and ultimately leads us to a new sense of purpose in life? And last week, Kara did a great job of uh, walking us through the plot twist in the story where Saul is converted to become a Christian and becomes Paul and the greatest persecutor of the church became one of its greatest advocates. And we are invited to also allow God to do those plot twists in our lives. And today we're also going to see a little bit of how there is a turning point in the story where God takes another leader in the church named Peter, uh, changes his perspective, and as a result we see the focus of the church moving from an inward focus to, to those Jewish Christians who were the early followers of Jesus outward to be a movement that is designed to go to the whole world. We're going to pick up the story uh, in chapter 10 of 
Acts, and we're going to look at uh, just a few verses. We can't read the whole chapter because it's, uh, it's a huge chapter, but it's a wonderful story, and I encourage you to be reading uh, this larger story on your own this week and maybe prayerfully consider how God might be inviting you to enter into this story in some unique ways. The beginning of chapter 10 starts with an introduction to this guy named Cornelius, who is a God-fearer, but he's not a, he's not a believer. He, he, he's in a, a city called Caesarea, and uh, he's praying and he's doing good works, but he's not heard the good news story of Jesus. He doesn't know who Jesus is. And, and so God comes to him through an angel messenger and says, you need to send for this guy, Peter. Peter can come and he can unfold for you. He can tell you the story so that you can understand this invitation that God has for you. And so Peter, about noon in verse 9, it says the following day, at, oh, uh, Cornelius sends messengers to go find this Peter in the city of Joppa. And so while they're on their way approaching the city, Peter goes up on the rooftop to pray. In those days, they had flat roofs in the Mediterranean climate. They suggested it was a great place to pray because you kind of get the ocean breezes and it's outdoors and you get up above the hubbub of the household down below. And so Peter's going up on the roof to pray. He's not, you know, out on a peaked roof, you know, about to fall over. But he's probably up there with some furniture and a, a place to hang out. And he goes up there around noon to pray. Well, about being about noon, he became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven open and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. And then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. Because you see, in the Hebrew culture, kosher food laws were a really important part of distinguishing who the Jewish people were from the other nations around them. And so Peter, being a good Jew, is saying, I'm not going to get up and eat these unkosher animals, God. That He's thinking maybe this is a test of his faithfulness, right? Then the voice spoke to him a second time and says... Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. Interesting how Peter often gets these messages three times, right? (laughs) I think he was a little slow on the uptake, and sometimes we are too, but God is faithful in his patience and will remind us uh, over and over again. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. And while Peter was wondering about the meaning of this vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. And while Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. And then if you read on in the story, you see that Peter invites the men to come into his house and to stay with him. And then the next day travels to Caesarea to to meet Cornelius and his household. It says that Cornelius had all of his close friends and family there. And Peter told them the story of the good news of Jesus Christ. And he says the whole household believed. They all became Christians and were baptized and received the Holy Spirit. Peter invited these men into his house, but he also opened his life 
to them, which was something that he perhaps thought that he would never do. As a good Jew, Peter was meticulous in keeping the religious rules. He was meticulous in keeping separation from uh, himself and the Gentiles. There are other stories in the book of Acts, if you go through and you, you see that Peter was a, a part of the Judaizer sect that was telling Paul and some of the other missionaries who were out there uh, sharing the good news with Gentile believers that they shouldn't be sitting down and having meals with each other because that wasn't what a good Jewish person would do. But as a result of the Holy Spirit coming and giving him a vision of this sheet coming down from heaven and and inviting Peter to begin to reframe his perspective on what is it that God really says is clean or unclean, pure or impure. We begin to see a turning point in the faith of Peter. And as a result, we see a turning point in the direction of the whole church at that time. A turning point is when the story goes in a whole new direction. You're going along in one direction, and all of a sudden, maybe you have a turning point, an experience. It could be a crisis. It could be a new realization. It could be an amazing experience where the Spirit of God breaks in and and gives you a whole new perspective, and, and the course of a life can be transformed. If we go back and tell our stories, each of us could probably identify several turning points that we had in our lives where something happened, and our life changed, and we went in a whole new direction. That's kind of what's happening here in the story. And that's really what the Bible says repentance is. You know, Jesus came saying, repent and believe because the kingdom of God is at hand. And repentance isn't just feeling sorry. It's allowing God to change our perspective and allow us to go in a whole new direction. I think it's interesting in verse 15 when God tells Peter not to call anything impure that God has made clean, the adjective and the verb that's used here in the Greek language is koinos or koinoo, uh, which literally means common. Don't call anything common, Peter, that, that God says is, is not just common. Jesus' words are perhaps reflected here from the Gospel of Mark in chapter 7, where it says that he was teaching and declared all foods clean. But we have to understand that it's really not about food, right? Peter's thinking about food, and he's hungry, and, and God's giving him this, this experience, this vision to think about his hunger and his food and what he'll eat and he won't eat, but then he immediately reframes it by three men who come knocking on the door who said, God has sent us to you to come and tell the story to our boss, Cornelius. So see, God is saying it's really not about food, it's really about people. And God's heart is not for religious rules and rituals, but to lead us to understanding how important relationship is in sharing this good news message of Jesus Christ. And we see the turning point in the early church happening in this experience where the focus of the people of God turns to an outward focus that the good news isn't just for the Jewish people, but it really is for all the nations. I'd like to spend a little time this morning just looking at this challenge that God gives to Peter. Get up, Peter, he says, kill and eat. And as I was reflecting on this passage, I, I, I was wondering, what would it be in our context today? What, what might it be for you or for me? That thing that if God said, get up, Kurt, kill and eat, would be the thing that I'd go, oh, no, 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 no. Far be it for me to ever do anything like that. 
What might it be for you? What would be the thing that just sets you on edge, that makes you cringe back and say, oh, no, God, I would never do that. As I was reflecting on it, one of the things that I think came to mind uh, was my time. As I think about the the way I spend my time as a, a pastor and working in the church, how much of my time is taken up doing ministry for God but not really connecting with people who are out there in the world with an opportunity to tell the story of good news to people who have never heard it. And what would it take for me, and what what might it take for us as a church to to reframe our understanding of what ministry is really all about in the church? And, And should part of our ministry as a church not just be focused inward on the ministries for the people who are here, but really being intentional about getting out and connecting with people in the community who've never heard the good news story and people who are far from God. And how would that impact the way I plan my schedule and the way I do work as a pastor? I mean, that's kind of an interesting dilemma, isn't it? To be, feel like you're a pastor and yet the, the work of ministry actually can kind of get in the way of being connected with people who are out there in the world. The other one that I think became a challenge to me as I thought about it is my home. My home is my castle, right? It's my safe place. It's my hideaway. It's where I escape at the end of the day. It's where I uh, go and I, you know, open the garage door and I walk in and I push it down and it closes and then we are all secure in our nest, in our home, and we have this little window to the outside world called a TV that we might look out of every once in a while. But we were out for a walk yesterday as a family walking through the neighborhood, and it was a Saturday, and we saw very few people outside, but we realized it was Saturday, and almost everybody had to be home. But in our culture, we've we've become a, a, a people who run to our houses, and we lock ourselves in these little secure nests, but we never venture out to to make friends with our neighbors or to find out who's living down the street and what's going on in their lives. And and I I have to tell you, I felt convicted. It's like, boy, what if I were to give my home to God and it wasn't my place, but it was God's place? And how might God want me to use my own home as well as my time differently if I were to put it in his hands? And how might he use that more productively for his kingdom? What are some of the things that you might cringe at giving to God if he were to ask you to give it to him for his purposes and his kingdom. Another way that we might look at this is what are some of the things that we might consider as common in this world, spiritually speaking or religiously speaking, things that we wouldn't consider worthy of being considered religious or spiritual and not related to our calling as Christians at all or as a church. What about your work or your career? Would you consider that something that's not spiritual and is just common and isn't something that God could really use for his kingdom or to share his good news through what you do as a career in your vocation? What about your hobbies or the things you do for recreation? Are those unspiritual, just common things? Or are those the kinds of things that God might also be inviting us to consider allowing him to use his spirit to empower them, to inspire them to be places of building connection with our neighbors and our classmates? Or speaking of our neighbors and our classmates, do we see them as common? 
If they're not believers, if they're unspiritual, do we see them as unclean and impure and perhaps to be avoided or held at arm's length because of fear of their sin contaminating us? Might it be that there are some people out there in our culture and in our workplaces and in our schools and in our neighborhoods that God would love for us to reach out to and connect with, but because they're not Christians already or because they don't have a lifestyle that that we necessarily agree with, we we are hesitant to, to connect with them and build relationships with them. I'd like to suggest that in the book of Acts, as we have seen week after week, and if we were to go on through the rest of the story and see, we see that the power of the Spirit of God is unleashed after the resurrection of Jesus. And what was the result that we see over and over again? We see people being formed into community in Acts chapter 2, and as a result of their new experience of community, we see people coming to faith in Jesus Christ. We see people beginning to form a whole new sense of identity and and the word of God is being preached and the story is being told and we see new people coming to faith in Jesus Christ. We discover people who begin to use their gifts and the strengths that God has given them to become deacons and servants and to, to serve other people in God's name. And as a result, it says, more new people came to faith in Jesus Christ. And ultimately, we see people discovering a whole new sense of purpose. And and a guy like Saul can be converted to become a guy like Paul and to be sent out to share this story in new and powerful ways. And as a result, we see new people coming to faith in Jesus Christ. One of the things that I think we cannot end this series without acknowledging is that one of the important pieces that we learn about what it means to be the church from the book of the Acts is that the call on our lives is to share the good news of Jesus with people who don't know him so that we can see new people coming to faith in Jesus Christ. This is a challenge for us as a church in the 21st century because many churches are not seeing any new people come to faith in Jesus Christ. But what would it say about us as a church and about our ministries if month after month and perhaps even year after year, we can't point back to anyone who has become new to the faith? Is that suggest that maybe we're not fulfilling our full call, the complete call of God? Now, evangelism's a tricky one, right? Because a lot of people have done it wrong and messed it up and made it kind of this religious have to. And, you know, we're going to go out and we're going to win souls and we're going to notch another spiritual notch on our gun belt because we're winning souls for Jesus. But I suggest that that's a, a depersonalized view of what evangelism is really all about. God has called us to be a healthy and a missional church. And by healthy, we mean pursuing Christ in our own lives and in our relationships with one another. But it also means that we have to then turn that outward to be missional and share the love of the relationships that we have with people who aren't a part of our community yet. We have to be willing, like Peter, to open our lives to the people that God might invite us to go out to and not just expect that they're going to show up here at church on Sunday morning. Because as we learned at the Veritas workshop, we are living in a culture where fewer and fewer people are interested in going to church or even think that church has anything relevant for them in their lives. I love the quote that Andy Stanley shared one time at a conference I went to. He said, are we willing to do the things that no one else is doing? 
in order to win the people that no one else is winning? You see, too often I think we think of church as this competition with the, the local church down the street. You know, well, well, they're bigger than we are, or they do worship differently than we do, and, and, and they're growing faster than we are. And it all becomes about measuring, you know, butts and seats and, and, and money in the bank account. And how are we doing at, our, at managing our church organization? But we missed possibly the point that, that part of it isn't about the size of your church or, or, or what kind of worship music you have on Sunday morning or what color the carpet is or if you have three or four different colors of carpet in your sanctuary. <laughs> sure, all of that could be nice. But if we're not fulfilling the mission that God has given us to fulfill, does any of that stuff really matter? Are we allowing ourselves to focus on the wrong things in the name of our own religiosity and missing the larger call of God to experience the power of His Spirit working through our lives and through our relationships to see new people come to faith in Jesus Christ? Because I can tell you, when you hear testimonies of people who are coming to faith and their lives are being transformed Oh boy, is that inspiring. Does that make you want to stand up and worship on Sunday morning and raise your hand and say, praise God because the Spirit of God is doing amazing things through this church. Alan Hirsch, who is a well-known missional strategist for churches around the world, has has talked about it in this way. He says there are uh, red ocean churches and there are blue ocean churches. And unfortunately, 90% of churches in the United States are red ocean churches. And what he means by that is he said there's, there's this smaller percentage of the ocean waters where 90% of the churches are, are doing their ministry and they're competing for the 10% of the people who are already in church. And, and, and because there's so much ministry going on with that 10% of our population, it's like a shark feeding frenzy and the, there's blood in the water. And so it's a red ocean, and many people come to church and they experience the, the conflict and the infighting and the criticism of churches for one another. And, and they, they look at that and they go, that isn't what I want to be about. That doesn't seem like it's good or right or healthy. And yet all the while, he says, there's 90% of the blue ocean out there in our culture. 90% of the people in our culture don't go to church anywhere. Why don't we go out and focus on how to connect with those 90% And let the other churches continue to fight over the 10% who are already in church. You see, it's not a competition between our church and the next church or growing our church to be bigger than the church down the street. The question is, are new people coming to faith in Jesus Christ? Because if they're not, then all of the growth that we're experiencing is just transfer growth from one sheep pen to another. And that's okay. I mean, that happens. People move. People are called out of churches into new churches by God. It's not that that's bad, but if that's the only focus of church growth, then we're missing the larger calling that God has given us as disciples of Jesus to share his good news with the sheep who have never heard his voice. See, Jesus confronts Peter and challenges him to step outside of his preconceived notions of what church is really all about. And to respond to the call of God in his life to share the good news with anyone and with everyone that the Spirit would lead them to. It's really important that you hear this. Please, this is not a guilt trip. This isn't us beating ourselves over the head with the Bible and saying, oh, what terrible Christians we are, what a bad church we are if we're not out there evangelizing or we don't see, you know, 30,000 baptisms a year. That's not what we're saying. 
What we're saying is that we can't allow the fear and the anxiety of, of not doing it to, to cause us to sweep it under the rug and at least not call it what it is. And say, this is an area where if we want to grow as a church, if we want to be effective in ministry, we have to make this one of our priorities in order to be fulfilling the call that God has given us. Not everyone is gifted as an evangelist. I think the Bible is very clear. Some people have gifts for evangelism and other people don't. But it doesn't mean that we as a faith community can't all be participating in evangelism to some degree and in some way. I'd suggest there are three things that we can see happening here in Peter's life that would open the door for all of us to be a part of evangelism as a faith community. And the first one is simply prayer. It says at noon, Peter was going up on the roof and he's praying. And it's out of his time spent listening to God and connecting to God through the Holy Spirit that he has this vision and that God gets a hold of Peter's heart and he changes his perspective. Well, everyone can pray. All of us can be praying for our neighbors and for our loved ones and for our friends and our coworkers. That's a, a huge part of evangelism is connecting with God and asking God to be connecting with people in their lives. The second thing I think we can see is that we can all be a part of community in a way that invites people into relationship. We need to be open to relationships with new people, but then we need to come together and help one another with this whole hospitality thing. I mean, I'd love to open my home and invite more people in and and do dinners and relationships and small groups and those kinds of things. But, you know, wouldn't it be great to be able to do that with a few other families? So we're, we're sharing the load and we're helping to encourage one another. See, it's not something that we individually have to only do ourselves. It's something that we can learn how to do together as a faith community so that we're encouraging one another and we're inspiring one another and we're helping one another to live out this call. The last thing I would suggest, though, and I think perhaps is the most important, is that we can allow God to give us a heart of compassion. See, it's not about trying to win souls. It's about having God's heart for the people who are lost and far from God. It's allowing God's heart to give us a a desire to, to see new people come to faith, not because we want to grow our church, but because we want them to experience the health and the wholeness that comes only through Jesus Christ. It's a heart for God's people that he puts on us through his spirit that motivates us to want to be willing to do things in a new way. Why would we want to do something that no one else is doing unless it was going to reach somebody that nobody else is reaching. But you see, I think that's a great call and a motivation for us to put our thinking caps on and to get creative and say, what else could we do that we're not doing already that's going to connect with people in new ways? Because people need the Lord. Another church strategist and missiologist, Peter Steinke, who wrote a book called The Door Set Open, suggests that we need to ground our desire for change as a church in our mission as a church. That the mission of the church is really what motivates our desire to change and to do things differently. And he says the source of newness and change in the church is never guilt. It's always the grace of God. The motivation for change is never guilt. It's always the grace of God. It's not because we have to, but it's because we get to. Because we realize that there's so much more to experience as as a Christian and as as a church than maybe we're experiencing right now. And so we step out on this journey of faith with Jesus and we open ourselves to the Holy Spirit to say, maybe there's a new experience and there's more to learn than I already know. He says, salvation isn't is about our hope in Christ that turns our heads and our hearts toward the world that God loves. 
You know, Easter is coming in a few weeks where we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. It's the high point of the Christian year. It's our Super Bowl Sunday. And the Easter story is about God's new creation coming into the world. And our calling as believers to become agents of that new creation. To become agents of the kingdom of God. Not in this room, but out there in the world. As Christians, we're called to embody the hope of God that he demonstrated through his son, Jesus Christ. And the gift of the resurrection should give us the boldness to step out and do amazing things because we don't have to fear even death. If God is for us, the Bible says, who can be against us? And we know that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ. So we should feel free and bold and confident to step out and share that love with anyone that God would send us to. Ultimately, what we learn is that we are a part of a larger story that God is wanting to tell to the world in us and through us, and he wants us to be a part of that story. You see, the turning point comes when we allow the Spirit of God to give us the heart of God for the people that God loves. And then we are on the right track to be both healthy and missional as a church. We've learned that our church here at Faith Covenant Church from the beginning has been a mission outpost on the mission field in the Northwest Territories of the United States. That was the vision that that this church launched with, was to, to tell the good news story in a place where there were no other churches, where there was no one else doing these kinds of ministries. And the story of our church and the stories of our people that we've heard as testimony through this series remind us of God's ongoing call in our lives to share this good news message of Jesus Christ, to tell the story of God's great love for his world. What will it look like for us to once again be empowered by the Spirit in allowing Him to make us His storytellers to the culture around us? I think that that's part of the journey that we're on. And even though we're ending this series today, it's the beginning of the conversation. It's the ongoing story that we are telling and that we are going to write together with God as we entrust ourselves to the power of His Spirit and we are willing to be obedient to his leading. Every life has a journey. Every journey has a story, and every story has an author. And here at Faith Covenant Church, we believe that God is the author of our story. And we believe that we are called to not only allow God to weave our stories into his story, but that we are called to go out and to share that story with the world. Amen? Let's pray. God, we thank you.